welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest on the program this evening is Joel Conico, a family practitioner who specializes in the treatment of pain. Welcome. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Um, I'd like to welcome Joe Conico to the show. Um, Joe, Joel knows I'm a, I'm a long-term admirer of his work, and he and I worked together for about seven or eight years at Swedish Hospital in Seattle, and he's a person who really helped transform the entire process in one where people were consistently getting better. So Joel is a family practitioner. He treated chronic pain and headaches for many years. I'm not totally sure how we got connected, but bottom line is that he was a major factor in coming over to the Swedish Pain Center. And then what I would do in my practice, I would be seeing patients surgically, non-surgically, and whether the patients needed surgery or not, I would send them over to, uh, to Joel to work on calming down the nervous system, working on chronic pain, adjusting medications, et cetera. And it's with him, we literally watch hundreds of patients go to pain-free, which is a huge paradigm shift, I think, for both of us. But anyway, I'd like to welcome you to the show. And if you could do, introduce yourself a little bit more, um, I gave a very brief introduction about your background um, and, and how you came into uh, working with my work. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, I, I, I uh, did my medical school education uh, where, where I was born and raised, in, in, uh, well, undergraduate at the uh, University of Michigan in Ann Arbor and medical school, Wayne State University in Detroit. And then I went uh, uh, to the Boston area for Berkshire Medical Center for postgraduate training. And then I, I came out here. I had a connection here. I had come out here and uh, hiked and camped during the summer and summers. And um, I, I came out here. And um, I, I lo- always loved the Northwest. And it's still home after I came out here in 74. So, and I worked for an HMO. And I became, bo- bo- in those days, you didn't have to be board certified to practice. But I came, became board certified in family practice. And um, I left group health and did my own and started my own practice. And I got disillusioned early on because there were more and more regulations, what you could and couldn't do. And I didn't feel the general practice was intellectually satisfying for me. I felt I was, I had, I want, I wasn't using the skills and, and interests and talents that I felt I had. So about 80 in about 88, 88, early 89 went to a headache conference in Palm Springs and the brief story is that I needed some continuing medical, medical education credits. It was good. I hadn't had a vacation in a time. We needed a family, wanted a family vacation. So I went down there and, and uh, Seymour Diamond of this Diamond Headache Clinic of, of Chicago was giving a talk and, and a conference. So we went and I, that changed my whole career and my whole, really changed my life because I was attracted to the field which because number one, it was an underserved area. People would psychologize headaches, think, well, your pain's not real, it's in your head. And the second part of it was it was underserved. The third part was it involved women, which got neglected anyway. So that was a, a three, an adults, three of, uh, three out of four headaches, well, three, um, uh, two out of three headaches, two thirds are, are, are women. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. After puberty, it's, it changes. It's equal uh, with boys and girls, but after puberty, it's uh, about three to one men to women, women to men. So it was an area that I, 
Yeah, go ahead. Is that with all kinds of headaches? The, the women predominate? Uh, yeah, migraine. Migraine. Okay, got migraine. it. Migraine. Cl- cluster, it's more men, 10 to 1 men. Very rare headache syndrome. But cluster, it's men. But migraine, thank you. Yeah, migraine is, is 3 to 1 uh, in after puberty. Uh, got it. Men to, uh, women to men. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. So I I um, I uh, talked with Harvey, Dr. Harvey Featherstone here in Seattle, who was at UW, and I had known him a little bit, knew he was interested in headache, and he uh, helped me kind of get because it was a new, whole new study, and um, I kept my practice, but I started being interested in in in, in this and studied it on it, and uh, Dr. Joel Saper. Uh, became a mentor of mine. He's a, a well-known headache specialist and pain specialist in Ann Arbor, Michigan, kind of serendipitously. Uh, and uh, so I, I, I studied. I went to a med- uh, headache conference a couple times a year, the ones they had. And um, I, I learned the field, and I, I, I made connections here in Seattle with a doctor named Stuart Tepper, a neurologist. And um, it became a real focus for my practice and over the years, I segued into general pain management okay. because the short of it is the 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 principles that we learned in the headache uh, work are the same principles with pain sensitization, descending pathways, all these things apply to chronic pain in general. And um, the, the other interesting thing about the headache world was, which there's a parallel in pain. The problem is like was psychologized, and that's what attracted me to it because because it was a chance to take care of people who were marginalized. Right. Um, and it was at that time I forgot the name of the person, but I think it was an Italian physician in um, in Italy discovered that there was a substance excreted in the urine of people who they had headaches, and that was the first real biological marker to show that maybe there was something real about the people who suffer from this pain. Right. Well, as you know, I was a migraine headache sufferer for almost 50 years, and those are real. Mm. <laughs> I mean, headaches are yes. terrible. Right. My, my right. headaches are crippling, and you can't find a structural lesion for them. And, and, right. and you and I both know very clearly that, you know, when your body chemistry is off, that is real. Just because you can't see a bone spur or a structural problem doesn't mean your body isn't reacting to it. And, you know, logically, it makes sense that really most physical changes in the body are going to be resulting from the body's chemistry, not some structural problem, but migraine headaches. I mean, I, I would have them every two or three weeks my entire life and you know, they're gone, but my goodness, it's mm-hmm. really a horrible problem. You say even people with migraine headaches were sort of marginalized. Yes. Um, people with all kinds of headaches. I mean, I got, um, you know, I had uh, ex- got expertise in it. I would diagnose un- the unusual syndrome, cluster headache and the, the uh, hemicrania, like hemicrania continua, continua, chronic and intermittent. And, you know, there are a lot of subcategories, but migraine is by far the largest. And most headaches are migraine, actually. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, um, and um, it, was, uh, it was really uh, uh, just a positive experience. And what you're saying is, just, I want to pick up on that because it turned out that the brain was the, the was the was the um, progenitor of the headaches. Really caused them, and yet there were all these other factors that made for 
both acute intermittent migraine, which is what people know, but there's also chronic migraine, which is a really, really difficult problem. And like with chronic pain, that was where I first learned in the literature, uh, a, 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 a psychologist working with Dr. Saper, uh, um, uh, I'm blocking on his name at the moment, but oh, Alvin Lake, Dr. Lake, w- did a lot of uh, publish and research on um, the factors that cause chronic pain and no surprise, uh, ad, uh, high ACE scores, uh, adverse childhood events um, like abuse, um, all kinds of other things factored into chronic pain and made the brain more sensitive and, right. and to, to pain. Yeah, we now know that the brain flat out gets inflamed in chronic pain. You have inflammatory changes in the brain and it can't be good. I mean, you have inflammation in the brain that can't feel very good no matter which way you look at it. And just because you can't see it on a test doesn't mean it isn't there. And so as you and I both know why we know that that actually is a fact now. So as far as your headaches, I'm just curious over, you treated headaches primarily for like 20, 25 years or so? Um, well, I had, uh, it wasn't a pure headache practice. I never developed that. It, you know, I, I continued, but more and more it was. Um, I treated headaches up even through my whole career, even uh, at uh, at the uh, Swedish uh, Pain Services, I treated patients with headache. I didn't. I, it was a spe- sub 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 specialty, I guess you could say. Right. But I didn't. I didn't only do that. Um, you, you know, the clinic was set up as chronic pain, but um, there was a lot of success with that, and that's one of the reasons I loved it because by talking with people, uh, you can get. You know, I spend time getting a good history, which is the key, and the medications increasingly for both acute and chronic um, head pain, uh, we used opioids extremely rarely, okay. if at all, and eventually not at all for headache. And um, uh, that more and more there was research on, on, on some of the medications, uh, non, non-opioid medications. And then the triptans came out, sumatriptan and, uh, and the other, I think there are about seven now for acute pain. And that just changed everything. But the treatment i think uh, it, people who worked really at, at, as um with with me and other headache specialists um in the around the country and around the world um got pretty good results uh, people who 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 stayed with the treatment um which included things like biofeedback and relaxation um right. uh, did better did right. better we didn't cure it but we managed it so that they had much better quality of life right so in the second part of our podcast, we're going to talk about <clears throat> your specific approach the last five or seven years since we, you and I started working together. But I'd like to, so I do know you had lots of success with headaches. So I'm curious, as we started working together about maybe eight years ago, how you're already having lots of success with headaches, medication and relaxation techniques. And I'm just curious about your evolution into the DOC project or the back mm-hmm. control project how things have shifted for you and what you've seen that is different now compared to back then? Yes. Well, it's really a different world. The DOC project, um, as well as Dr. Schubiner's work, um, which you introduced uh, uh, Dr. Irving and I to and others here in Seattle, um, changed everything. Um, We we met, I'll tell a personal story, we met, and we've talked about this, I think, we've met after you did surgery for my for my, for my wife. Okay. I don't think she'd mind me saying this uh, publicly. Um, 
Yeah, and we we I had met you in the office, but after the surgery, which went we were really well, she's doing well after almost a decade and a half now down the line, but after this fusion, but you got interested and I said, you know, we talked about what I did because the focus was on on my wife, on Barbara earlier right. and you got interested in the fact that I was interested in uh, do, uh, doing pain work. Right. And that set something off in you and and over the next couple of years, we we met for dinner, and then we met, and we t- we talk, and then I started going to the Swedish meetings that you and Dr. Skuyan and others were were, were uh, having down at Swedish, and then at that time you were developing the Doc Project, so I saw it develop from the beginning, and by the time I I joined Swedish, partly with your recommendations. Um, you and I uh, were set to work together, and that changed that changed what we could do because until then, and my my mentor at the clinic between yourself and and Dr. Irving, um, uh, we we learned until then we really didn't have much to help people with chronic pain. We could counsel them, we could reassure them, we could deal with the other issues around it. Um, we used opioids when we had to. We didn't have any really great treatment. But with the DOC project and then with Dr. Schubiner's work showing what we were dealing with really, the, the, the source of the chronic pain, we were able to help people heal um, with or without, as you said, with surgery. And most people that we saw did not have a structural problem, did not have a disease in the classic way, but right. they had more, the, the, the brain was, as, as you say in your work, on fire, and, and we had to calm things down and teach them another way to, to deal with it. And, and we, um, we had success where you couldn't find success before. Right. So we started keeping a list. I don't know how long the list was at the end. We didn't get a complete <laughs> list, but we, I mean, we had several hundred patients literally go to pain-free, which I, in my career, I mean, the data shows that only 20% of physicians are comfortable treating chronic pain, less than 1% enjoy chronic pain. And you and I had a good time. We did. It was the best part of my career. It was the pinnacle of my career. And I know we've shared that, um, uh, and I've shared that with others. It was because we weren't, there was a, there was a, Pain patients are in a tough spot, and and I didn't have that with so much with the headache patients I saw, but with pa- patients with chronic pain of other types, there there was a there, there was a um, kind of a conflictual relationship, uh, and and with this work we could be their advocates because we not with everyone you know there there were other issues and they wanted opioids that kind of thing, but I think it was a positive relationship on both sides and and part of it the best part of it was for me personally besides the joy of seeing people improve in their lives is that i was improving in my life and that's because it, it both at work and home because we were i was doing the same things when i asked them to do the meditation well i i was meditating too because because that was just the right thing to do to, to understand its power and the chronic back pain i had kind of started to evaporate when I use these methods. So I, to my great surprise, when I started out in this work, I started applying those methods to me and um, 
that was part of it. The other part was just the relationship you and I had, the success I was having at the clinic, the, the, the wonderful staff there. It was just a mutually supportive network that just um, was a joy to do. Well, from my perspective, what you offered, which was not very common these days in medicine, is that you were able to, you, you didn't have an agenda. You, I mean, you were able to just wait it out, just be with the patients. And I still think, I mean, the doc project to me is a framework that outlines documented effective treatments in a structured manner, and people can figure out their own solutions. So it's basically a framework, but I still think that the essence of healing is the doctor-patient relationship is probably the biggest part of the factor. And from my perspective, what you're able to do is actually just be with the patients. Maybe they were ready, maybe they weren't. The door is always open. People would flare up and you sort of wait that out. They would get better. You'd enjoy that with them. But it was unusual that I think maybe your family practice background helped you do this. And when I was at Sun Valley doing solo spine practice, I, I did the same thing, is I didn't have an agenda. I just simply worked mm. with people where they were at and basically just gave them support and structure for them to figure things out. And I don't know, I don't, I don't know what you think, but usually within about three to six months, most people got dramatically better. And I, that was sort of my sense. But, my, the, but from my perspective, it was so unusual is the fact that you're able to simply be with a patient. And I still think the essence of healing chronic pain, whether it's mental pain or physical pain, is feeling safe. And when you feel mm. safe, it changes your body's chemistry from a stress mm. profile of adrenaline and cortisol to a relaxation profile, which is you know oxytocin and dopamine, which is a dramatic difference in your sense of well-being, number one. But second of all, it actually slows down the nerve conduction and the pain actually physically disappears. But I don't, I don't know about you, as many patients as I saw get better, when I saw one walk into the office, really essentially pain-free, I go, what? I don't know how you felt about it. I was continually amazed how dramatic the changes were. And I think that's what was pretty fun for both of us. It, it was. It was. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm reliving those uh, moments now that you uh, say it. And I should say for the, for the uh, whoever listens is, you know, I, I, I retired about uh, just about a year and a half ago, March and 18. So March 8, mid-March 18. And yeah, it's not that long. But yeah, I, I still go back and visit everyone. I love the, pro, the people that I worked with. And, but yeah, I think that the time was really important. Dr. Irving, when, when he hired me, I said, you know, I, need an, I want an hour with patients. And I know the clinic uh, didn't always. Anyway, uh, but he said I could do what I wanted, so I continued that. I saw patients for an hour, and often it was more for a you know complex. For, these were complex uh, people with complex problems, and and so I'd see them um, and do the exam and history and exam. So Joel, I mean the fun part for me, I would come out of my clinic literally every day. We'd see anywhere from one to three or four patients every day in clinic that were just doing incredibly well. And the thing that was exciting about the whole project is that it's documented effective treatments. It is something mm -hmm. that patients do on their own. And it's not a, a book that you read the book and you're fixed. The, the mm -hmm. issue is you have to learn and practice the tools that actually calm down your nervous system. And once people learn those tools, they would quote, fail frequently. In other words, in other words they would have flare-ups, but they have the tools to come out of the flare-ups more quickly. And then my sense was that they always get better over time in other words, it wasn't something that they learned and went back into their old pain pathways. 
Um, they would right. learn it, the tools, and then the tools that every month that went by, they just get better and better at using the tools. I mean, that's yes. my sense of it. Yes. And what I saw was, I, I called it a spark. And we would talk about this. I, you could just see when people would take off, and there was, I called it a spark. It's something that people saw a different way. They understood their pain differently. They weren't scared about it, and they were open to going forward, and they chose their own path. And what I did was, and sometimes I would be out of the norm in the sense that there are people that I let continue their opioids if they weren't on dangerous doses. Right. Initially, initially, right. until they felt comfortable. And when you said about safety, I think you really you – really, touch something that I think is really important. People do need that and they need a place. They need space and they need time to heal. And I think we, we gave them that. And that, that was something really important. And I think the most important thing was learning how to listen. And that was the, I continued to, to work on that um, myself. And, and that was the thing that really made it a, a joy because it didn't, it didn't, drain me um, like it seems to drain other doctors dealing with chronic pain. Um, well, again, part of the approach, again, people want to feel safe. And I mean, I was one of those people. I was trained that the way to deal with chronic pain and disability was to become tougher, more stringent, set boundaries, et cetera. And it's the wrong thing to do. And so yeah. I think most physicians, again, historically, including myself, that they label patients, well, that's a pain patient or this pain must be faking it or malingering. And when I talk to pain patients universally, every one of them feels like they're not really being heard. So it's bad enough to, it's bad enough not feeling heard because you go into the doctor to actually have your problems heard and solved. So if you first of all don't feel heard, that doesn't feel very good. Then I think the final insult is when you get labeled by your healthcare providers that, I mean, none of us like being labeled. None of us like being, none of us, like having it implied that, you know, we're not really speaking the full truth about our pain or whatever we're doing. And there's, and the bottom line is in medicine, I mean, the chronic pain epidemic continues to grow and we're not solving it as a medical culture. What I was excited about, I mean, chronic pain still in the major medical centers and major conferences around the country, there's all, third, all sorts of things to do for chronic pain, but we're throwing random simplistic solutions without listening to the patient at a complex problem. And by definition, the three parts of healing is, first of all, understanding the problem, which means listening. Second part is treating every aspect simultaneously, like fighting a forest fire. I mean, chronic pain is complex. And the third part is the patient has to take control of his or her own care. Because if you have a complex problem like chronic pain, and each person is unique, really, by definition, the only person that really can solve the problem is, um, is the patient themselves. So that's... So I'd like, I'd like to finish this section up by just talking about the last year in practice, because it felt like to me that you actually jumped in deeper yourself with the project. I also felt like your patients were consistently get her, getting better more quickly. What were some of the final paradigm shifts that you experienced during your final year of practice? Wow. Um, I, let, me, let me start by saying I, I'm going to – 
maybe go back a little bit to say something that I think is one of the most important things we didn't touch on, and then remind me, if I may, and you can stop me if, 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 if you want, because I have to think about that a little bit. But what really was key, and I, wanna, I know the focus is on you and I and the work, you and me and the work, but I want to say something that's really, really key, and that is no one person can do this on their own with a patient, no matter how well-meaning we are, how much knowledge, and even with the DOC project, this requires a team. It requires a lot of, and, and it couldn't have been done without the work that you and I did together, you the surgeon, me the non-surgeon, because I relied on your judgment, and I know you relied on mine too. And sometimes there would be tough problems. Does this person have a structural problem? You'd see them twice, three times, and say, no, Joel, they don't. Or I'd send them back and said, you know, I think there's a structural problem. You said, by golly, there is one. And sometimes people had to have another surgery. So it was that kind of trust with you and I. And then the that was crucial. And then the team, you know, the people who did the biofeedback and the mindfulness, um, you know, Carolyn McManus and, right. and just the support. So I want to just say that as that was huge, really right. huge in our success. No, I agree. The thing was, that was, yeah. distressing, that was distressing to both of us is that, you know, the treatments we talked about, like biofeedback, mindfulness, meditation, relaxation, um, the different medication adjustments, most of those actually aren't covered by insurance. So you and I be looking at a given patient and we know what the patient needed and we couldn't get it covered. Incredibly frustrating. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's right. Sometimes it, it was that way. Um, par paradigm shift. That's a harder one. My paradigm shift really came early on um, with, with your work, the doc project showing me a way. And, you know, I, I went slowly. I wasn't sure about it. But as I started to work on it, um, uh, I, I, I really saw how well people were doing under your care and, and I, I, I modeled, I mirrored and modeled that. Um, one of the paradigm shifts for me was the motivational interviewing, which really helped tremendously in helping to engage people. Cause one of the issues we had was there were a lot of people who came through the clinic who I, you and I knew both in your 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 clinic and mine that we could that we took together care together that they could heal but they didn't want to they 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 kept believing that they had you know a physical problem that needed more injections or surgery whatever right and i w tried to work to help them in the motivational interview and to engage them and to have that spark come so they said aha i see a way i can a path out of this and I found motivational interviewing to be a huge change my last year, year and a half in practice, um, to just engage them and make less, you know, making less mistakes, make, engaging them and being able to listen more to their ideas. That was a huge help to me. Um, and could you, could you and, just review really briefly what's the essence of motivational interviewing? Yeah. People who come in, all, all of us, when we come to see a doctor, but say the patients we saw, you, they, they want change. They want something cha to change. And yet they're only willing at each point to do so much. And they have a culture and they have a life and they have a family history and they have a personal history and they have issues. And we all have that. So at a particular time, certain thing is, you know, right for someone. Do they want to get off their opioids? 
what how much time do they have what are their resources what's going on else in their life so the motivational interviewing the idea is to find out what will help each person at this time make that change and and commitment to 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 helping themselves right and 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 how that would play out and again it's profoundly helpful because it allows us to listen to them in a way that is therapeutic and of all the treatments you could say okay for 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 this person you know for Jane well you know t- path A is better for for Mark well maybe path Z is better right um and it so that that was that was extremely helpful well, John, I wonder, I need to wrap this segment up, but I really am excited about your approach. And I learned a couple of things myself that I did not know about how you evolved in the situation. I do want to mention one person. I can't mention her name, but um, you recently saw her at a conference we were at. And yes. we both had worked with her. And she'd been in chronic pain for 55 years. And she's been really free of pain for almost five years now. And the thing about her history, and again, this goes back to simply asking simple question, what stresses are going on in your life? Because pain isn't stress it's the chemical changes the stress causes in other words if you're under stress why changes your body's chemistry which affects every cell in your body there's 50 trillion cells in the human body each one of the each one of them is based in the stress chemical bath so it creates physical symptoms and when sustained people get sick the people in chronic pain die on the average seven years earlier it's been documented that the effect of chronic pain on a person's life is similar to having terminal cancer. This is not imaginary pain. But the question that was never asked of her 40, 30 years ago is that, first of all, her husband committed suicide. And then 10 years later, her son committed suicide. Nobody ever, nobody ever asked those questions of just what's going on. And that's the diagnosis. I mean, talk about stress. And so your body chemistry is way off, it's sustained, and it took a while to help her calm down, but it's been remarkable to watch her go from 55 years of chronic pain to relatively pain-free. It's been really a, a remarkable ride, and it's just, that's just one of the people we've worked with, as you know. Mm. But um, yeah, but, listen, but just listening is a huge deal. Yeah, I remember seeing her at the, uh, at the, at the uh, conference, uh, right. and um, it was a pleasure, and that's one of the things. I'm smiling warmly as and and uh, just with a full heart, just uh, uh, just remembering uh, meeting her again. And I think that's the relationship that that we set up. It, it, it was it, it was a sense that I would tell patients, you know, we're on on the same. I might know more about medicine, but you know more about what you might need and direction you might go and. It was really a, it was more than a friendship. It was a doctor-patient relationship, but they were the center. Right. We made them the center, and that's what motivational interviewing does. And so when we see people like the, the person you talked about, um, there's just a warmth in it because we, we work together. It was a team, and um, it's just, uh, yeah, just nice memories. Right. Well, Joel, thank you very much. We're going to talk to you again in a minute about the, um, the actual exercises and approach that you used to use. I'd like to spend a little bit of time on the opioid situation. I think you and I have a very similar philosophy about that. But um, I really appreciate your time very, very much. And honestly, Joel, I mean, honestly, Joel probably kept me going for another five years longer because we had such a great time watching people get better. It was really a remarkable experience. So, anyway, Joel, thank you very much and uh, appreciate you uh, sharing your views. 
David, you're welcome. Thank you. Take care. Well, I'd like to thank our guest, Joel Conico, for sharing the evolution of his uh, practice in the treatment of pain. And I want to remind our listeners to join us next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to visit the website at backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.